If you have a Bible or your pew Bible, turn with me on page 469 to Psalm 41. Will you stand and honor God's holy word? Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while in his heart gathers iniquity. And when he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Thanks be to God for his strong word. Please be seated. If you do a quick Google of the most horrific betrayals in history, you come up with quite a nefarious crew of people. Not going to say it's uh, gender bias, but there's a lot more men than women. But each country is well represented indeed. Here's just a few to take into account. During World War II, there was a British agent named Paul Cole. Paul not only double-crossed people, but many, many other nations. During the World War II, he helped build the French resistance, only later to sell them out to Nazi Germany. He caused significant damage to the Allied forces, leaking tactics to the Axis powers. When the war ended, both the French and the British government was on a severe manhunt to find him. And they found him and they shot him. Also during World War II, a very interesting uh, fellow, Witkin Kinsling. He's a Norwegian. He rose up in the ranks, became the Minister of Defense in Norway. He helped create a puppet government in Norway when Germany invaded that country and did dastardly things. He embezzled money. He sent people to be murdered. And probably the worst of all, he sent a 1,000 Norwegian Jews to concentration camps. When Germany surrendered in 1945, he was executed for high treason. And the curious thing about him, his last name, Kinsling, now is synonymous for a traitor. It's actually a word in our dictionary for traitor. 
In, in America, we have them too, and you know many. Here's one I did not know. John Anthony Walker. He was able to pull off the largest act of betrayal in U.S. naval history. Over a 20-year period, he's secretly sold cryptic things to the Soviet Union. He did horrible things against our own nation. U.S. officials said Walker's actions gave the Soviet Union access to weapons, sensory data, naval tactics, submarine, and airborne training. And as an interesting take on his life, he divorced his wife, and his wife ended up double-crossing him and betraying him, and that's how they caught him. And so he got bit by his own issues. And then, of course, we know Bernie Madoff. You may not have put him on a list, but how could we not? Someone who was trusted, well-respected for decades on Wall Street. It doesn't matter if you were a poor old Jewish widow or some big uh, influential person in uh, Manhattan. He deceived, he lied, he cheated, he created the largest Ponzi scheme in U.S. history. Nineteen billion dollars worth of deception. People lost their life savings, their retirements, everything. He double-crossed and betrayed thousands and thousands of people. What do all these people have in common? They deceived, they covered up, everyone was shocked and horrified when their actions were revealed. The deception, the covert operations that took place, all done in secret in the dark. And the result of them always meant great harm, trial, even death for those poor victims. Betrayal is horrible. And we even see it in the Bible, right? We just have to turn each page and look. Cain and Abel, Joseph betrayed by his brothers, Moses, and of course David. David himself was betrayed. Many of you probably know what that feels like to be betrayed. If any of you have been uh, in public middle school, you've all been thrown under the bus at one point and you've survived. But seriously, we all have had people in our lives deceive us, manipulate us. Few, probably many actually, have felt the bitter sting of someone betraying you, maybe your own spouse, and lies and cheats and deceptions. So we know what that sting is like. Here David in Psalm 41 has been betrayed and, and at a horrible time in his life. This is a very interesting psalm because verses four through 10 actually tell us his suffering and his trials. And when he was at his lowest point, that is when he was betrayed by a friend, a friend who broke bread with him. And then verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 talk about his response to that. And those verses created a precept, a principle from which he t talks about in verses one through three. It's a very interesting psalm but it reveals the sting of being weak and vulnerable and ill and suffering, and then your friends come and you get betrayed by some of them, people that you're closest to when you desperately needed help. That is what happened to David. He knows exactly what that is like. And a very interesting uh, aspect of that, he does celebrate 
how God sustained them through it all, little by little. There's a very interesting idiom here in verse nine, and for the sake of time, we're just gonna focus on verse nine, because this is that one, one line in here where he says, even my close friend whom I trusted ate my bread, and he has lifted his heel against me. This little idiom that he is referring to is something that happens in ancient uh, uh, Semitic culture, where if you break bread at the table of someone who is more important than you, the, a superior of yours, you're basically pledging your loyalty. So someone who is very close to him, someone who was in his cabinet, whom he broke bread with, betrayed David. And oh, he felt the sting of that. And even though that happened, he sees, as we note from verse 13, praise be God, the Lord has sustained him. That's exactly what happened. He knows the sting of that. And of course, amazingly, you're not, you're not missing what verse nine is actually talking about. David's betrayal is of course one of the many messianic psalms that detail exactly, exactly what would happen to Jesus. If you know John 13, you can see it in there clearly. This powerful chapter has Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And this is what happens in John 13. The chapter begins with Jesus saying, he knew that his hour had come to, to depart this world. And having loved his own, don't miss those, that brothers and sisters, having loved his own to the end, after supper, he washed their feet. And he realized and noted when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was about to return to God. And then in verse 18, he says this, I know whom I have chosen, and yet the, the scripture may be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, that you may believe that I am he. The direct quote from Psalm 41.9, right here. And as Jesus is doing that, he's telling them, he's teeing everyone up. This is gonna happen. And then interestingly enough, right after that, as they're in the uh, upper room celebrating the Passover, Peter and John are going, who, who is it? Who's gonna be the person? They are completely clueless. And that's what an act of betrayal is all about. It's when you're just totally deceived and you're like, I can't believe a friend would betray us. They don't know Jesus has already told them it was gonna happen, quoting Psalm 41 right here. And, and as you think about this, it really is a shocking thing. Think of all the verses in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, loaded in Isaiah, where there are clear messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. Just what Judas did alone is pretty amazing when you think about it. His ability to, he betrayed Jesus. It wasn't an enemy, but a friend that betrayed him. It was 30 pieces of silver, not 25, not 40, 
30 pieces of silver, not gold. And those exact pieces of silver were thrown into the house of the Lord and would later be used to buy a potter's field. Those cluster of prophecies alone that are specifically lined out in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus in just a short span of time due to the betrayal of Judas is staggering. But that's not all. You know this. There's over 60 powerful, explicit Old Testament prophecies written between 1000 BC to 500 BC, hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth. And they clearly line out exactly what he would do, where he'd be born. We know them. It's unbelievable. Mathematicians and scientists say the probability of that, of just the mere cluster of verses that Judas fulfilled, or maybe 40 of them, would be a mathematical improbability, impossibility. But hundreds of them? Nothing, nothing is impossible for our Lord. He fulfilled them all perfectly. So many of them, and we're just looking at one. What a savior, what a powerful Lord. What does that have to tell us? That that Judas kiss was planned before creation. Creation, fall, redemption, and then restoration. Before all that was architect planned, the Judas kiss was planned. All of that was happening. God was sovereign of all. Every single aspect of this was planned. We know this clearly. Genesis 3 points this out, that the serpent's head would be crushed by the offspring of Eve. Just think about the components of what a betrayal looks like. It has to be deception, clandestine operation, covert ops, where people are stunned and have no idea. This betrayal was no surprise to Jesus. He knew exactly it coming, and he leaned full into it knowing exactly what was going to happen. He was not surprised, stunned, befuddled, shocked, not one bit. He was in charge of it all. Psalm 41.9 makes the betrayal and the double cross painful for David, but it's predicting what would happen for Jesus. And Jesus knew it. The Psalms girded him up. The Psalms, his word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And something very interesting as well. Think about how most acts of betrayal create harm, loss of money, devastation, even loss of life. But think about this. Our sovereign king was not only aware and was in charge of this sovereign plan, but this act of betrayal actually saved us. This act of betrayal set in motion the ultimate plan of God's redemption. Judas' subversion helped bring about our salvation. It's incredible how his actions help activate our atonement. He was just a part of the whole plan. He thought his betrayal would do great harm. It'd do great harm to Jesus so that we would gain. It's amazing. The bread of life gave his bread to a traitor in order for us to have eternal life. Incredible. Jesus is the only one in history that was fully aware of his own betrayal and embraced it and broke bread and loved and washed the feet of the man who would betray him. 
Only Jesus, only Jesus could go to the cross, be crushed for our iniquities, and gain strength from Psalm 41.9, knowing what was gonna happen. So what is your response? What is your response to that? The Lord who fulfills all the messianic prophecies, the Lord who's in charge of it all, the Lord who allowed himself to be crushed for our iniquities. Our response is what Paul Goebel talked about from Psalm 2 on Monday. Kiss the feet, kiss the son, worship him with new vigor, with more awe and more wonder than you've ever can imagine. Worship the king. Remember what he has done. Fall on your feet and kiss his feet and kiss him and love him and give yourself to him fully. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. And for our neighbors, for our friends, even those in our family who do not know how to worship him, then we know what our call is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So we leave here and we go and tell others about this so they can join us in awe and in worship of our marvelous King. Let us pray. As our head is bowed and we're considering what a savior, hallelujah, that he is. Consider what David said in 41, verse one. Blessed is the one who considers the poor, or happy is the one who helps the helpless. How will you, brothers and sisters, consider the poor and help the helpless?